Uh, well, I'm glad y'all are here at uh, second service today. We have quite a few more orange shirts and blue shirts and um, the pink shirts who are not on Pure Joy Retreat, <laughs> which isn't very many coming. But we, um, we're wearing our shirts today to celebrate the ministry of Vacation Bible School. Um, even if you weren't here for Bible school this year, I know you have been in other years. This was a wonderful week. It really was a wonderful week. I've done, I was trying to count up how many vacation Bible schools I've done over the years. I think this was 11 at this place and four in another church before that, and then so many as a kid. And every vacation Bible school is different. Um, now, we did have a bumpy start to the week, literally. I don't know what Randy was doing with y'all out at Camp Peacock. We got heads conked and we got a wrist and a brace and all. And didn't even get any rain. Oh my goodness, we got rain around here. We did, we did. But it was a wonderful vacation in Bible school. We talked about God's love, catching the wave of God's amazing love. Catching the wave of God's amazing love. I talked last week, and it talked us in teachers too, about little changes, little changes we were making at vacation Bible school this year. And I saw it. I saw it in the, in the campers. Well, I guess they're not surfers. We were surfers this year. In the surfers. Mm -hmm. And in the adults and in the youth helpers that were here as well. So I'm going to ask you all now, and and I'm going to answer too. What was one of your absolute favorite things about Vacation Bible School? And you can answer from another year if you like, because I know you've done Bible School before. One of your favorite things? Zip lines. (laughs) If you have not been out to Camp Peacock before, big kids, out at Orrin and Elizabeth Peacock's place, there are there's a high zip line and a low zip line, and you went on both. Favorite? That's awesome. Anybody else? My favorite was blessing the campers or the surfers out there. Not campers, the surfers. Blessing the surfers. And they liked it too. They did. Trying to get as many blessings. They did. We had blessing sticks, which is what you call chapstick when you baptize it. Blessing sticks. And every day when our children left this place, this holy place, they got a blessing. Every single day they got blessings. And they got blessing buttons that say, I am a blessing. And it smelled good. And it smelled good too. It was a very good smelling blessing. It was. Anybody else have a favorite part? My favorite part was opening assembly and hearing the Bible story of the day. Oh, that was something we added this year to our opening assembly. We still called it opening assembly, but we kind of were transitioning to make it opening worship. Now, it doesn't look anything like this worship. There were puppets and there were music videos and all kinds of things. But we added the Bible story. And there was a slip and slide. We didn't have a slip and slide in here. Something to look forward to at Camp Peacock, though. Yeah. I like the talking crab. The talking crab. Snappy was our mascot this year. Yep, and he had a, he had a pretty dry wit up there. Mm-hmm. I think both the opening assembly and in the Bible study group, making the Bible really come alive. Making the Bible come alive, and that's what we want for vacation Bible school. It's vacation Bible school to really let all the kids who come in this place enter the Bible, or if they're not going to enter it, for the Bible to come out. <laughs> <laughs> and which is what happened a lot of times all over this chancel area and in preschool and elementary Bible. Mm-hmm. My favorite is probably also the zip lines. The Whatever zip line. Else. Yeah. Trampolines. And trampolines. Yeah. I want to go to Camp Peacock. All right. <laughs> you heard it. Sign up for Camp Peacock next year. I think my favorite 
And there was a lot of good moments at Vacation Bible School, but Barbara Modor, who was our lead director this year, and I started planning probably this time last year, and really hitting it hard starting in January. And we planned, and we planned, and we planned, and we worked, and we worked, and we worked, and then on Monday morning, 8.45, assembly started. And all the blue shirts and pink shirts and orange shirts that were in here, and then some taking that van out to Camp Peacock, started singing and moving and they were singing songs of praise and i was just like it's here this is why we're here that was a good good moment it was a good moment because there's a lot of places that everybody in this place could choose to be that's one of the things that amazes me you have a lot of places you could pick to be this summer Um, And our volunteers, this whole thing is staffed by volunteers, dozens and dozens and dozens of volunteers. And they chose to be here for this week in this place with these kids and these families, you know, all 150 of them, whatever, you know, chose for their kids to be here in this place. And that blessed my soul and brought me such joy. So I am blessed that all of you are here and part of this ministry into our whole church for listing this up as a ministry and writing the words and experiencing the words of the Bible on their hearts and on their souls and in their bodies with the zip line and the slip and slide and all the rest of it. Yeah. So I give thanks. Thank you. And the treehouse. It's an awesome treehouse. If you haven't been to Camp Peacock yet, y'all come. Right, Terry? It's good stuff. Well, let's give thanks this morning, shall we? And say, dear Lord, we thank you for the gift of your word, for the ministry of VBS, for the love you pour in us. May we share those blessings with all we meet. Thank you, Lord, for loving me. We love you, Lord. Amen? Amen. Thank you. Thank you. We are continuing our series today on nameless heroes. Um, The inspiration for this series actually came out of thinking about the Olympics coming up. Um, And I remember asking uh, Pastor Clay and Pastor Caroline, I said, would it be just too corny to do an Olympic theme? And they um, both uh, thought that it would be good. And so as we began to brainstorm about it, we kind of, we begin to take a look at those stories in the Bible um, involving people who are pivotal in those stories, but who have no name. And so we have heard about the four friends who lowered their paralytic friend um, down through the roof so that their friend could receive Jesus' healing. Wouldn't you like to have friends like that? Maybe you do have friends like that. We heard about the woman at the well who is often um, 
thought of as, oh, the one who um, has had so many husbands and, and all that kind of stuff. She's thought of as the sinner. Um, her window is right over there. Um, and then also, uh, we heard about the nameless priests last week um, who carry the Ark of the Covenant and enter into the flooded Jordan and then God peels back the water and the people of Israel are able to go across. These are all people that don't have names. And so we're going to hear a story today that is familiar to many of us. And I want you to listen for the one who is unnamed. We're in John chapter 6 and we're going to read the first 14 verses. Listen for the word of God. After this, Jesus went to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, also called the Sea of Tiberias. A large crowd kept following him because they saw the signs that he was doing for the sick. Jesus went up the mountain and sat down there with his disciples. Now the Passover, the festival of the Jews, was near. And when he looked up and saw a large crowd coming toward him, Jesus said to Philip, Where are we going to buy bread for these people to eat? And he said this to test him. For he himself knew what he was going to do. And Philip answered him, Six months' wages would not buy enough bread for each of them to get a little. And one of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, There is a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what are they among so many people? And Jesus said, make the people sit down. Now there was a great deal of grass in the place, so they sat down, about 5,000 in all. And then Jesus took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated, so also the fish, as much as they wanted. When they were satisfied, he told his disciples, gather up the fragments left over so that nothing may be lost. So they gathered them up, and from the fragments of the five barley loaves left by those who had eaten, they filled twelve baskets. When the people saw the sign that he had done, they began to say, this is indeed the prophet who is to come into the world. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. Let us pray. O Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable unto you, O God, our rock and redeemer. Amen. Names are very, very important. I think oftentimes we take for granted what it means to have a name. The name that our parents give us. Because they have anticipated our birth. And they are ready to love us as soon as we enter the world. And we are given a name. In the biblical understanding of names, to know someone's name was to enter into relationship with them. It is to accept responsibility for them. 
And we find this notion at work in a lot of stories. For instance, the story of uh, Jacob wrestling with God. And as they wrestle, Jacob demands to know the name of the one with whom he wrestles. And in uh, um, Jewish practice, it is not acceptable to utter the name of God. It is considered irreverent. It is considered um, to do something that is really inappropriate, to speak the name of God. Um, I had an experience of this um, years ago when I was um, a volunteer for the Holocaust Center here in Dallas. And um, there was a woman named Ida who worked in the office. And uh, we would enter into conversation quite a bit, um, talking about Jewish practice and Christian practice. And we had developed a relationship enough to where we could ask each other questions um, that were kind of sensitive. And I was taking Hebrew in seminary at the time. And we got to talking about this idea of names and specifically talking about God's name. And um, so I was kind of being a little sloppy with my um, vocabulary and talking with her. And I said, Adonai, which transfers into or which translates into Lord. And she said, oh, no. She was from South Africa. She said, no, no, that's Hashem. That's Hashem. That's the name. We do not utter that. And I was like, wow. Because in my understanding, Adonai was not the name of God. It was a title, but not in her understanding. So this notion of names And the power that is carried with knowing one's name, whether it is one's own name or especially the name of another, is a very strong idea. And then consider how many people we have in Scripture that we don't know their names. Did you notice in the text that we just heard, who is the one who is not named? He's only mentioned once. The boy. The boy. In John's gospel, um, in this version of the story, this boy is mentioned. He doesn't appear in Matthew, Mark, or Luke. And this boy, we have no idea what his name is. We have no idea how old he is. We have no idea what kind of family he comes from. Nothing. But... The disciples have um, discovered that he has food with him. And the boy comes forward to offer his food. Now the title for my sermon today, The Boy Who Gave His Lunch Away, is actually the title of one of my very favorite children's books. And I actually had my husband in the shed yesterday looking through boxes of children's books, trying to see if we still had this book. But I think it got handed down to my sister and then to my nieces and my nephew, and so who knows if it still exists in one piece. But it's called The Boy Who Gave His Lunch Away. It was published in 1970 by Arch Books. 
And on the cover of it is this little boy holding his sack, and then there's a goose standing by him. And in this particular story, the boy isn't given a name, but we learn a little bit about his family, kind of an imaginative exercise. So the book opens up with um, the boy waking up, um, and his mother and his father are there, and they're having conversation about the prophet who is coming to town, who is doing wonderful things. And so the father and the boy want to go see what is going on with this prophet, with this rabbi who's doing these wonderful things. And so the mother says, well, you're both, you're going to need some food. And so she packs up two fish, one for each of them, and then the barley bread so that they can feed themselves in case the day is long and so that they can have sustenance in their travel. And then, of course, as they as they get closer to where Jesus is and there's this press of people, then the boy realizes that people are needing food and he walks up to Jesus and he offers his little sack lunch. I had my parents read that story to me over and over and over again. And I think I was so attracted to the notion that a child, that a child could do something important, that a child could do something meaningful. Let's sit on that for a minute. Who is it that usually reveals to us where wonder is? It's usually the children around us, right? Who is it that um, has the imagination to pull us in directions oftentimes that we think are unrealistic as adults? It's usually the children that are around us. I think Jesus understood this at the core of his being. Because elsewhere in the Gospels, who is it that Jesus pulls in front of the disciples and says, this, this is what the kingdom of God is like. It's a child. We may not know this boy's name, but God does. Everyone who is nameless to us, God knows. God knows the name of everyone that we tend to look over, that we tend to bypass, that we tend to think are on the margins of society, people that we probably would not care to know. All of the children in the world who have ever suffered under any set of circumstances, whether they be inhumane conditions, whether it be situations of abuse, whether it be in refugee camps, whatever, God knows their names because God has chosen to be in relationship with them. And Jesus chooses to make those children the point at which we can see God's wonder. This text is often used as a stewardship text. (laughs) It's often used in 
pledge campaigns, capital campaigns. But my friends, I think the best understanding of this text is that Jesus sees a child who has an offering. And Jesus accepts that offering and multiplies it for the sustenance of all who were gathered there. One commentator said, the idea that all of the fragments are gathered up in baskets means that to God in Christ, nothing is lost, whether it be food, whether it be people, whether it be children. Nothing, no one is lost. I don't think that it is an important point to talk about how this multiplication could have happened. Some commentators try to explain it. Well, the little boy offered his food, so the food they had with them, then they brought it out. I think that's applying too much reason and rationality to this text. Because it is the children among us who can so readily see the wonder of God and can see the possibilities of the world in ways that we often think are unrealistic. And it's sad to think that we become enslaved to our view of what is realistic in the world. Hmm? Elizabeth Barrett Browning put it like this. Earth's crammed with heaven and every common bush afire with God. And only he who sees takes off his shoes. The rest sit round it and pluck blackberries. My friends, our children see. They see the wonder of God. They offer that gift to us. Let us accept the gift. Amen.